0: Good morning, I think we should still have enough, I didn't realize it until I started folding them here that I had a number of them misprints, but as John's passing those out, appreciate his help there, go ahead if you haven't yet, turn to the book of Philemon, Uh, we're going to be there again this morning. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. And I think this morning what we'll do, just try this a little bit different this morning. Um, here in just a second, I'll read verses 8 through 16. That's going to be the verses we're going to try to focus on this morning. And then I have a number of verses, kind of like we did last week, but a number of verses up here that will likely reference throughout uh, the lesson this morning. So what... Uh, what I'd like to do is get volunteers to read those verses. Um, just again, disclaimer up front, there might, be a, there might be some of those verses for various reasons. We skip over or something, but just those are ones that we would turn to. So. And there's actually one other passage that's not there, but I want everybody to turn to that one when it's time. So we'll, uh, we'll give you that one at the time. But, so if you, if you don't mind participating, can kind of be ready. That gives you a heads up on what's coming up. Uh, Somebody could read those that way then. All right, so let's read this morning. I'll read it out loud. You just follow along with me. Verses 8 through 16 in the book of Philemon, then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll just uh, jump in here this morning, all right? Philemon 8, here the Bible says, wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged... And now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant a brother beloved, specially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. All right, and we'll just stop our reading there. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning, <clears throat> as we take a, a few moments this morning and we uh, look at this portion of Scripture, uh, first of all, we, we thank You, Lord, for, for this. Thank You for Your Word. And we pray that You'd help us now to uh, give it our attention. We pray that You would... Uh, uh, just work in each of our hearts, help me to have clarity of thought in uh, presenting this and then uh, just uh, in, in your will and, and way here. And then also, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, work in each of our hearts, help us to be receptive and responsive uh, to your word in the way that would please you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray, amen. Again, this uh, book, Philemon, is, is one of these, one of the few short uh, as in just one chapter uh, books in the Bible. there's several of them in the New Testament, only one in the Old Testament by the way but uh, several of them and this is uh, this is often looked at as the most personal uh, books because it, it is it's basically a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to this man Philemon whom he had known and obviously had had uh, an influence in his life in, in the past from from the time that he wrote it. And uh, it would seem from verse 19, we didn't read that this morning, but uh, it would seem that Paul probably was the, the human instrument uh, that God used in Philemon's life for Philemon getting saved. All right, so he had that connection. And, and um, uh, it appears that they had a very close and good relationship for, for a number of reasons. But um, you remember the, the general gist of the whole situation is it, it seems that Onesimus, who's named in here, we read his name down in verse 10 there, uh, he was a slave who had belonged to Philemon, and apparently, well, he ran, he ran away from him, he left him, and apparently he probably stole some things as well, so he had done wrong to Philemon in, uh, in probably several ways, you could say. And uh, he runs away to Rome, apparently. Uh, I guess it'd be kind of like today in America, somebody run into New York City, you know, just to blend into the crowd and kind of be lost, if you want to say, in the numbers, that kind of an idea. In that day, Rome would have been very similar to that. And, uh, you know, somehow or another, of course, the Lord obviously was orchestrating things, but... Uh, and that's, you know, that's a whole separate lesson from what we might even look at this morning, but it's interesting how God just kind of directs things and allows things, but directs things to where His, you know, He puts you in contact with certain people and so on, and uh, his, his will can be accomplished in, in our lives that way, but somehow He comes in contact with Paul while Paul's in Rome, uh, perhaps while Paul was in prison, most likely, Um, because he's still a prisoner as he writes this. So uh, while he was in in Roman custody, Onesimus comes in contact with him. Maybe Onesimus got picked up in Rome for something and was put in jail too, and somehow they came in contact that way. It's very possible. Uh, But um, anyway, through that, that contact and relationship, obviously now Onesimus has gotten saved. And so that that puts another dynamic, if you want to say, in the whole scheme of things. Not only was he a slave to somebody that Paul knew and really you know, was a good friend with, but he's also now a, a fellow convert of, of Paul's, if I can word it that way, as well as now a brother in Christ. And I mean, the whole dynamic is, is completely changed because of all this. All right. And so this letter, the whole purpose, the point of this letter, we just read it this morning, here is Paul's writing to Philemon to get him to receive Onesimus back. And again, not just let him come back, but to welcome him back. And more than just the relationship they had before, that he was a slave that belonged to Philemon, but now as a brother in Christ. So, I mean, again, this is a an interesting context if you, that you could talk about a lot of other relationships here, but that's not the purpose of this. this. In our study, our focus is looking at this appeal, which we see beginning now in the verses we read this morning. Uh, the first seven verses, if you remember, basically are Paul talking about Philemon, thanking, you know, expressing thanks to him and the fact that he he was thankful to God for him, he prayed for him, he he mentions a number of qualities about Philemon's character. So, so, obviously, Philemon was a good man, right? He was a good godly man, had a good reputation testimony. His life had affected others. We Remember that? He was a refreshment to people. I mean, that, that's, a, that's an amazing statement to be said there. And so, Philemon is being asked by Paul to receive Onesimus back. Now, Let me just say that from the personal standpoint, this can be probably one of the more difficult lessons for us this morning as we read part of this, because if we stop and think about some of the practical application here, uh, you'll see what I mean in in just a few moments, but there's there's a strong lesson for us here, all right, about forgiving others, and we're going to get to that uh, here this morning, but everybody here has been wronged to some degree or another all right, whether it's some of the little kids, you know, ah, Billy took my toy or whatever it is to somebody really uh, hurting you in life, you know, whether it's through a, a personal relationship, a marriage relationship. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, scenarios, of course, that exist in this world. And uh, there's a, there's a great lesson here on forgiveness for us. But As we look at this, let me just read this this statement I got here so we can just launch into this, but we see that because Philemon's a good man and has good character and because the good relationship enjoyed between Philemon and Paul, Paul knows he can appeal to Philemon for the former's runaway slave who is now a saved, changed, and forgiven man himself. In this present text, here we see the apostle appealing to Philemon to forgive Onesimus and allow for reconciliation. And so, as our focus this morning, I want to notice the basis and manner of this intercession that's undertaken here by Paul. And according to this letter, we'll see three reasons this morning why Philemon should receive and forgive Onesimus here. All right? and like I said, you know, we'll, we'll spend a little more time on some things than others, but there's, there's some really good spiritual lessons in this for us, and uh, we might not be able to focus on all of that because of time restraints this morning. But let me also say, that I want to point your attention to verse 12. All right, because this is, you'll notice as he says, wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoy the, he he goes down here, but it's not till verse 12 that he actually tells Philemon what he wants him to do. All right, so everything else up to verse 12 in this letter is just leading up to that. Verse 12 is, is, it's very short and simple in that verse, but this is what Paul's writing about the whole letter. All right, I want you to receive him. That's what he says, receive him. Now, this particular word, receive here. There's, there's a not, well. There's several words used in the New Testament translated receive. All right. This particular word has the idea in this context to to extend a welcome to to receive someone into your own circle, so to speak. Your Private circle, if you want to say, to receive them into it. So this is a word that that has a strong connotation here. And now think of this. In order for Philemon to receive Onesimus in the sense of this word, he would have to forgive him. There would be no way for him to legitimately do this, to receive Onesimus back in this way, without forgiving him. There'd be no way, all right? So Paul's writing to him, and he's asking him to forgive him. And before I even get into the first reason, I I want you to think about this. What does it mean to forgive someone? I mean, we could probably get into a long discussion about this, but, I mean, the word forgive, the Bible word forgive, the basic definition of it means to cancel something, to remit something to forgive, okay, to, to just you do away with it, all right? It's easy to see because the word was, in many ways, a financial word to forgive a debt, to cancel something. Somebody's account is overdue or whatever, but the person cancels it, all right? Be, and, and when we think of it that way, that's, that's what forgiveness in the Bible is, Now, you've heard the terms, forgive and forget, you know. As humans, it's impossible for us many times to forget. Now, sometimes, yeah, in time, you can not remember it as much, but it's literally impossible for you to forget, you know, basically. But you can forgive. Forgiveness is an act of the will, all right? You decide to forgive. You decide to cancel something. So, in other words, you before you forgive, you're looking at someone as owing you something. Maybe that's because they've done something wrong to you, all right? But you're you basically they owe you. Okay? So forgiveness is you're canceling that owe, that debt. And you're basically deciding they don't owe me anything anymore. We're even. All right, so as we get into this, keep these these words in mind here. So in order for Philemon to welcome and allow Onesimus now into his personal circle, those that he really counts dear, he would have to forgive him. The word isn't used there in that. It's just receive him. But in order for him to do that, he has to forgive him. All right, and the whole point of the letter, again, is... Paul's writing for Philemon to forgive him and receive him back, not hold what he had done against him, okay? And so, three reasons here. First of all, we see in verse 8, because of different words that are used here, it's the right thing to do. That's really what Paul's writing at, at here. He says, it's the right thing for Philemon to forgive Onesimus. Now, that goes against the human side of us, the human side, I mean, we're all human, but I mean, it goes against our humanity, our human nature, because by, by our fallen nature, we're selfish, right? But this, it, this means that we're willing to put aside our rights, all right, and do what is right, all right? So he says in verse 8, notice what's the first word there in verse 8? It's the word wherefore. Now, what does the word wherefore mean? All right, or you can think of it as he's saying, because of this, all right, so what's he saying? What, what, he's appealing to what he had already written about Philemon. You know what? Philemon, you're a good, you're a good man. Your testimony is, is broadcast over. We've run into people who, who talk about how you've refreshed them. So because of this, because of your character, because of your testimony, that's how he starts out here. So, it, and, and again, the whole point he's making is it's the right thing for Philemon to do because it reflects Christ, right? Wherefore, so this again, it appeals back to his character and so on. And the bottom line is, you know, men of character do the right thing. Ladies of character, right? I'm not trying to overlook you. Uh, do the right thing even when it doesn't come easy to do. But that's what character is. It's doing the right thing. And so uh, it's the right thing to do. And then notice the, the other words. He says, I enjoin thee, all right, Where, wherefore, because your testimony, I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. Now, these are some older English words here, but to enjoin is the idea of to charge or command you. Convenient is what's proper, what's fitting. Now, we use the word convenient today as something that, you know, this is convenient. It makes it easy. That's not the, what the word means here. It means what's right, what is proper, okay? So uh, that's the idea of what he's saying. I could just command you. I could use apostolic authority and command you because you know it's the right thing to do, but I'm beseeching you instead is what Paul's saying here, all right? Yet for love's sake, verse 9, I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, right? So um, really, I mean, think of this again. Put yourself in Philemon's shoes or sandals, whatever he was wearing. But this guy, and again, based on what we see about Philemon, it seems very unlikely that Philemon had mistreated Onesimus. He probably was very, very good to him. But yet, Onesimus took an opportunity, and we don't know exactly what all he did, but he obviously wronged Philemon, and he ran away, all right, took off. Maybe Philemon had entrusted him with, you know, uh, some, something to go to, maybe to make a trip and go take care of some business, and he misused that trust, you know. Well, he, he said, well, I'm just going to take this and go and enjoy it, you know, whatever. And so, I mean, bottom line is he's appealing to Philemon to do the right thing. Now, Philemon ought to forgive and receive Onesimus back because it's only the right right to do so. Bottom line is, as a Christian, do you realize it is never right for us to not forgive somebody? Now, we could ask, okay, what does that mean? What's forgiveness and so on? Now, Hopefully we'll get to explain some of this as we go here, but some, if somebody would read Matthew eighteen twenty-one through 22, those first couple verses there, you're, you're familiar with these verses, but just notice the statement here. Go ahead. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, until seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Okay. You're, you're familiar with that passage, remember? And, and obviously the idea, what Jesus is saying is, you know, it's not like you put a limit on your forgiveness. It's just, as long as somebody, your brother comes to you and asks for forgiveness, you should forgive them. Even if it's repeated and oft-repeated every day, I mean, we should be willing to forgive. Now, Obviously, there's, you know, that's where we start questioning are they really sincere and come, you know, that kind of thing. But the point is, we should be willing to forgive, all right? Uh, because it's the right thing to do. And we could talk a lot about that, but just it's, it should be very clear. The Bible tells us we should forgive, all right? We should be willing to forgive people. Now, this kind of goes in conflict with a lot of things that you hear in our American Christian society. And I'm using those terms very loosely, but, you know, about Christian liberty and all this, which is focused on my rights, right? I can do this because I have liberty or whatever. I mean, Bible Christianity in reality is about us giving up our rights. It's not about us exercising our rights. And that goes against American ideology in a lot of ways. Because, you know, the American mindset, particularly today, is all about this, we have our rights. We're not going to, you know. Anyway, but as God's people, we need to do the right thing and not be so concerned about our rights. All right, secondly, we see this beginning in verse 9. But Philemon should forgive Onesimus, receive him and forgive him, because it's the loving thing to do. Again, Paul here, he's instead of commanding Philemon to forgive... He's beseeching him to forgive for the sake of love. Again, notice verse 9, it begins with that phrase, yet for love's sake, all right? And and the whole point, I'd rather beseech thee, all right? And then he gets to the point in verse 12 to receive him, all right? So, for love's sake. So, it's not only the right thing to do, it's the loving thing to do. Now, first of all, and I'll be quick with this, all right? Because, again, it should be kind of obvious to us, but... uh, Two think, two uh, levels, if I could say it that way, of love here that could be seen is, first of all, Paul's telling him it's the loving thing to do because of Philemon's love for Paul. Basically, Philemon, if you love me, you should forgive him, all right? But then more important than that is, if you love Christ, you should forgive him. It's the loving thing to do. It's not just the right thing to do. You know, what, think about this for a second, and we've got to be quick with this, but what's the greatest motivation to do something that there is? According to the Bible, according to 1 Corinthians 13, right? The greatest motivation in doing something is love. Now, let me just ask you this. Is it a good motivation to do something because it's the right thing to do? That's a good motivation, yeah. Yeah. But a better motivation is love, and sometimes we do things simply because it's the right thing to do, and that's good. It's right to do those things, but love goes deeper than that. It goes to the to the you know the motive in our heart and, and that we want to do it because we love, all right? Not just because it's the right thing to do and, and but because of love that That makes a little bit of difference in that, all right. And so when you, when you think about that, read two verses here, First John, the, the next two verses, if somebody could read those. Appreciate it. 1 John 4, all right, John? Uh, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. <clears throat> all right? We, we love him because he first loved us. Sometimes we get caught up and well, oh, we love God. Well, that's only possible because he loved us, all right? Um, somebody got John 14, 15, all right? If you love me, keep my commandments. <laughs> Again, love is a great motivation. That's, that's the greatest motivation. Again, what, remember when Jesus, in it's recorded in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love God supremely. I mean, probably, re- really that's the positive statement of the first commandment of this Ten Commandments. Thou should have no other gods before me. That's a negative statement. That's written in a negative way. But in, in Jesus' answer, he answered it in a positive way. Best thing you can do, greatest thing you can do is love God supremely. Now, that make a difference in everything else, right? But to love God, all right? So think about a spiritual lesson here. And this is where we'll spend a few minutes here and hopefully then not too much. But spiritual lesson on forgiveness, because this is, this is a difficult thing in our lives many times. And as I said, I'm sure, I'm sure, I don't know everything about everybody here, but I'm sure that everybody here has been wronged by somebody. Now, depending on a lot of different things, the extent of that wrongness obviously is going to vary. Um, But no one, no one that belongs to God has any right to not forgive his brother, at least be willing to forgive. And he he owes this to God for Christ's sake. I want you to turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Very simple verse. We're not far from that here. So go forward just a few pages to Ephesians 4. Rather than just have somebody read it, I want everybody to look at it, if you would. This is... Part of a long passage in Ephesians 4 here about don't do this, but do this, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. All right. The last verse in the chapter here says, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. And then notice this next part. Forgiving one another, even as God. And then notice those next. Three words, for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Do you realize that the basis for God's forgiving you is Christ? It's not you. It's not your repentance. All right? It's Christ. That is why God can forgive you. Because of Christ. Now, we're not going to be able to explain everything about that right now. We're going to see more of that unfold throughout this, this letter here. But because of Christ, because of who He is, and because of what He has done, God has a just basis to forgive you, no matter what you've done. Now, I say that, and, you know, you, you know everybody's nodding their head and so on. But when, when you hear the name Adolf Hitler, do positive or negative thoughts come to your mind? I mean, if you sit there and think about it, you can kind of get mad, can't you? I mean, how dare this guy? I mean, think about how wicked, okay? I mean, Joseph Stalin. He probably killed more people than Adolf Hitler, by the way. But, I mean, you could, you could just keep thinking of examples like that, okay? But, and I, I want to say it this way, and don't, don't take this wrong, but the truth here is, do you realize that God could, I'm not, you know, I don't know if they ever got saved, for them, but, but God could forgive them just as easy as he could forgive you. Because of Christ. Because it's not based on you, it's based on Christ. Now, several things about that. Now, here the command is for us, okay, because right now the point is Philemon is being asked to forgive Onesimus. Now, we don't know exactly what all he did to wrong Philemon, but you know what? No matter what it was, it was nothing compared to what we did to wrong God that cost Jesus Christ. And no matter who you are, no matter what's been done to you, and I, I'm not just flippantly saying this. I hope you understand this. This is this is a serious statement to think about and and all but no matter who has wronged you and to what extent it is it does not compare to how we have wronged god and what it cost jesus christ he's the only one who is a completely truly innocent victim now in saying that i'm not i'm not you know saying that this person that did this to that, that that person, they're, they're not innocent. I'm I'm not just, okay? But the point being is, if we really are going to forgive people, we, we need to keep things in the right perspective. There's no one or all the people cumulative me. I, I could stand here and tell you stories, and I mean, I've been wronged and and so on. Maybe somebody has a, Worst story or whatever, I don't know, okay? But the point is, that doesn't, when I really stop and think about it and compare it to Scripture, it really doesn't compare to what I did to God that the Lord Jesus Christ had to leave heaven. I mean, think about this. Forgi- God forgiving. God is willing to forgive. He, he loves to forgive, but God is holy, and God cannot, cannot overlook any sin. Every single sin that's ever been committed from Adam's first sin on to the last sin ever committed in earth, on this earth, somehow or another has to be dealt with. God is just. He is holy. He is righteous. He cannot overlook any sin whatsoever. So when God excuse me, when God forgives you, it's not a matter of him overlooking your sin. That's not the point whatsoever. He cannot, he can't overlook, because if he did, he would not be righteous. He would not be holy. He would not be just. So there has to be a basis for God to be able to forgive your sin. I'm getting this a little bit out of order, but can somebody read Romans 3, verses 22 through 26? Romans 3, verses 22 through 26. All right, Tim, if you'll get that. <clears throat> Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. All right, there's a lot in those verses, okay? But just a couple things to highlight here so we can, we can move on. The word forgiveness, uh, I don't believe, appears in that that passage, but there's a word there justified, all right? Uh, Justification, that's one of those great doctrinal words involved in our salvation. It basically means that God declares a sinner to be righteous and he treats them as righteous. Doesn't mean that they are in and of themselves righteous, but that's how God, it's, it's a legal term, all right? It, it's it's kind of like a, a judicial term. God declares you to be righteous. It's a, it's a judicial decision. Now, in, in that passage, it, it, he explains that God does that because of Christ. He can justify, let me word it this way, God can justify the believing sinner because in is it verse 25 that it uses the word propitiation right which is me and Christ is the propitiation Christ is the basis of satisfaction to God so because of who Jesus is and what he has done God has a just basis to forgive sins and i think it's verse 26 there that says that he can be just Righteous is the idea, and the justifier of him which believeth in, let's say, Jesus. All right. So, in other words, God can still be righteous and declare a believing sinner to be righteous, but it's because Christ totally satisfied the holiness of God in paying for those sins. It's not because you are repentant enough. It's not because you are believing enough. It's not because you are so cute and cuddly. And It's because Jesus fully satisfied the demand, the holiness of God. So God will, and here's the point too as well, God will forgive the believing sinner. It's not a matter of if. He will forgive the believing sinner because of Christ. Now, think about this. If he doesn't, he's wronging Christ. So, the picture, taking that back to Philemon, Paul is saying, if you really love me, you'll forgive Onesimus. And if you love Christ, you'll forgive Onesimus. I mean, got a couple bullet points there. I mean, there's nothing that anyone could ever do to you that's worse than what you did to God, all right? And somebody could argue with that and, and so on, but we don't have time to to get deeper into that, but here's another question. How can you expect God to forgive you if you refuse to forgive others? You realize there are several statements, teachings that Jesus offered on that particular subject, Matthew 6, Matthew 18, and so on. Um, but, all right, and then this, the Lord has already done all that His holiness allows Him to do to forgive. Now, What I mean by that is, okay, for those out in the world who are sinners who haven't turned to God, okay, God's already done everything that His holiness allows Him to do to forgive. He cannot forgive them until they repent and put themselves in the mercy of Christ. Salvation, this is an interesting thing. God is all-powerful, right? Right? God spoke the worlds into existence. I mean, when you start thinking about God's ability, his power, it's amazing, right? But do you realize God could not just speak and you know forgiveness be able to come. There had to be, he had to do something. There had to be a basis for him to be able to forgive. <coughs> That's why Jesus left heaven, became a man, and did all that he did so that he could satisfy the holiness of God, God then could still be holy and righteous who he is and have a basis to forgive people. But it's through Christ, All right? And we got to move on here. Notice, notice two reasons. So it's the right thing to do. It's the loving thing to do. But thirdly, this is an interesting thing thrown into the mix here when you think about this, right? He says, really, in, in my words, but he says it's the profitable thing to do. Verses 10 through 16, uh, i got to get back to Philemon to see that. Verses 10 through 16, he says, I beseech thee for my son. Notice the, notice the way he words this. I'm asking you for my son, Onesimus. Now, Onesimus wasn't literally, in a physical sense, Paul's son. We know that. But he was his spiritual son, no less than Timothy was. And he, he already introduced Timothy in the letter, right? Uh, but he says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. So while I've been a prisoner, I begot him spiritually. He was born again while I've been a prisoner. Again, probably Onesimus somehow or another. He met pr- Paul in prison and that's how it, you know, there, this, this began. But he says, which in time past was to thee unprofitable but now profitable to thee and to me. So what he's saying is you need to receive him back because it's the profitable thing to do. Because Onesimus has changed. He's converted. He's a different person now. He can be good for you. Interestingly enough, the word, the name, Onesimus, the guy that ran away, his name means profitable, beneficial, helpful, useful. I mean, various... Words that are used, but I mean, so it's an interesting. Now he's able to live up to that name. All right, he didn't before, obviously. But um, notice the the words here. All right, he uses the word "son" in uh, in verse ten. All right, it's interesting here that now he's he's saying to Philemon, you need to receive him back because it's going to be the profitable thing for you to do. It's going to bring you benefit, is the idea. All right, now again, before I even mention these, think about, again, the spiritual lesson of forgiveness. Do you realize that if you don't forgive someone, you're not hurting them, you're hurting you? I mean, there's a lot about that in the Bible and bitterness and, and all that kind of stuff. And it is beneficial to us to forgive people. It really is. All right. But he, he refers to Anesimus here as his son, verse 10. He refers to him as a servant, all right, in verses 11 through 14, talks about in verse 11, now profitable to thee, whom I've sent again, that thou, there, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel, but without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. In other words, to, to kind of paraphrase that, Paul's saying, you know, I would have loved to just... Kept him here because he's been helping me. But the right thing to do is to send him back to you. And he says, in the, in the end, it's going to be benefit to all, you know, profitable to all of us to send him back. It's going to be profitable to Philemon. It's going to be profitable to Onesimus and profitable to Paul. All right? And so he refers to Onesimus as a son. And as a servant here now, of course, he was a slave, but basically he's saying he can be a profitable servant to you, profitable to help you, all right, there's, there's much, uh, could be much profit from Onesimus' life, and especially if Philemon would receive him and allow him to be reconciled. Paul beseeches Philemon to receive Onesimus as if it was in, in Paul's place. Notice again, verse 12, he says, "...whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him." That is mine own bowels. And down farther, he he talks about receiving him as he would would Paul. He uh, says in verse 17, if you count me a partner, receive him as myself. So he's he's asking him to to, to receive Onesimus back, but not on the former grounds. Now receive him back more than just a servant. A brother, in fact, that's the next word he gets to, verses 15 and 16. A brother, beloved, but receive him as my son. Receive him as you would me. That's the idea here. It would be profitable, all right? Because of this, in verse 15 and 16, receive him as a brother. Because of the new relationship in the Lord, Philemon could be receiving Onesimus back forever. Uh, He's not just getting a servant back, but he's receiving a new brother in the Lord. Right? Onesimus was loved in a special sense by Paul here, but he's wanting to send him back for Philemon to be able to receive him. And, you know, maybe Paul's hope was, you know, you receive him, you two be reconciled, and then you can send him back to me, and he could help me in the ministry. But, but Paul realized it was imperative that he send him back so that those two could be reconciled. It never would have been the right thing to do, to not be reconciled back. What's what's reconciliation? That's another one of those Bible words associated with salvation. But what is reconciliation? Reconciliation is the bringing together of two parties that had been estranged or separated for some reason, all right? And most of the time in human relationships, there's, there's a mutual, at least to some extent, there's a mutual wronging, right? And bringing those two back, you know, somebody in this sense, Paul was being the intermediary and working out between these two to get to get back together. So they have a right relationship. Reconciliation is a great doctrinal word used in salvation. When a person gets saved. All right. They are reconciled to God. They are brought back into a right relationship with God that was lost when Adam sinned. All right but brought back into that relationship. Now, the difference between that and human relationships is that God has never done anything to wrong any of us. It's always and 100% totally man that has wronged God and turned from God. God's exactly where He's always been, but through Christ, we can be reconciled back to Him. All right, there's some verses on the on the board there about reconciliation and uh, we're not gonna be able to look those up right now, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a, one of those important New Testament words relating to salvation. There's so many words in, in, used in the Bible that are uh, you know finding and studying these words, what they mean, what they entail, uh, helps us in a lot of ways of understanding what God has done in saving us. Uh, in, a, in a whole lot more, but obviously the Lord Jesus has provided a way that men can be reconciled to God, and because of who Jesus is and what He's done, the Lord will receive all that come to Him through Christ. There's there's numerous verses that would state that Jesus said, "Come unto Me, all you that labor and are every laden, and what I will give you rest." John, uh, that's Matthew eleven, John six thirty seven. All that the Father giveth to me shall will, uh, come to, cometh to me, and him that cometh to me, I will what in no wise cast out. I mean, the sinner who sees, understands Bible truth, and turns to Christ can do so in confidence that he will be received. And again, I say that, and this might seem like blasphemy to some people but if adolf hitler would and i don't know if he ever did or whatever but if he in even in his last moments had he repented and turned to christ god would receive him that that mean that sounds like such you know well you're going too far there that demonstrates that we don't understand how bad our sin is when we think that way all right it's easy to look at other people and say they're they're pretty bad But no matter what your sin is, it's wicked before God because God is totally holy. And and if, you know, I don't know that we can ever really in in this life fully appreciate how holy God is. But the fact that He was desirous to save us, John 3.16 identifies that because God is love. God is light. He is holy. He's righteous. But He's also love. Uh First John four, not, not the verse that was read, but earlier in there, makes this statement. It says, "God is love. He doesn't just lo- like do love, he is love. People don't understand, I mean, and, and with us, it's hard to hard in our minds, our human minds to reconcile the two, being totally righteous but yet loving. I mean, because in our day, the idea of loving means your your accepting of wrong that's not god doesn't accept any wrong but christ has made a way that god can forgive wrong he can cancel it but it's because of christ and there's there's other parts and words of salvation that you know enter into all that that aren't used here okay but there's some, there's some wonderful pictures here, and I, we, get, we got to stop here this morning, but forgiveness, that's a big thing. That's a big thing to humans. It's a big thing when you think about humans to God. I think it's a bigger thing, but it's only because of Christ that God can and does willingly forgive. In fact, Look at it sometime. You know the, the minor prophet books. If you ever spent much time, <laughs> they're all about judgment, judgment of sin. Every one of them, judgment. Various situations and so on, but all about judgment. The book of Micah ends with three verses, but verse 19 in Micah 7, God says it talks about how God is righteous, and 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 I'm not quoting necessarily exact, but you know, he, he, he will judge and so on, but then it says he delights in showing mercy. God loves to show mercy. But there's, a, there, there's only, you know, a, there's a just way that he will show mercy, but that's the only way he can show mercy. Otherwise, he won't be holy. But it's through Christ that all of that is done. Anyway, we got to pray. Thank you, Lord, for your your wonderful salvation. Thank you. I mean, I have to stop and and recognize uh, again, Lord, I don't deserve your forgiveness. But I am so thankful for your mercy, your forgiveness in Christ. And because of who Christ is, what he's done. And because of his holiness and his willingness to become the sacrifice for our sins. You have a just basis to forgive our sins. And Lord, we thank You for that, and I pray that You'd help each of us to exercise forgiveness the way we should in our lives toward others. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.